midweek media watch time as we welcome Colin Peacock in. G'day, Colin. I suppose I've torn you away from the football, have I? Uh, yeah, well, it's it's on. I've, w- I've watched the start of it. England seemed to be on top. It was nil-nil when I wandered off, but uh, don't know what's happened uh, recently. But, yep, England playing Australia right now for a spot in the World Cup final. Um, all over for us, of course, though, after that Spain-Sweden match at Eden Park brought it all to an end in, um, in, in New Zealand. But uh, it's that, that game is huge and expected to be an all-time record TV audience uh, for an event in Australia. I've heard early estimates of uh, in excess of 7.5 million Australians tuning in. Right. Could even be higher, so we'll have to see. But let alone, the, let alone the television audience on the other side of the world. At, uh, I think what it's 20 to 11 in the morning. It's perfect timing, and England have just scored. I'll let you know. Oh, England have scored. Interesting. One yeah. nil. One in fact, nil. I, I tuned into the BBC's coverage online just to have a look at uh, how they were handling it at the start, and they went into the game with a montage. You know, the English team's called the Lionesses. Yes. And uh, they had a, it was actually a bit cheesy, but I warmed to it by the time it was over, kind of (laughs) hype montage of the team narrated by uh, Sir David Attenborough. Oh, um, really? Yeah, Perfect. with him saying, and the lioness's pride moving in now. <laughs> Each one has a role. In, you know, and all, it was slightly Perfect. corny, but I was just thinking, if you're him, he's 93, 94 oh, or something. No. If he was tuning in, wouldn't you love that? You'd feel oh, very puffed up when you think you were soundtracking Absolutely. That. So it's hit a high point. It's been fantastic, hasn't it? After what we were worried about, whether it was going to fill the stadiums. And I mean, there was no worry there really in the end, was there? When you, when you, if you build it, they will come. Indeed. And I did my bit. I went to three games. But, I mean, because the Matildas have gone deep into the competition, it's been huge in Australia. And uh, I'd like to play you about a minute's worth of, this is the Guardian Australia's sports editor, Joe Kahn, explaining um, how the success, uh, the unanticipated success, really, you'd have to say, of the Matildas has forced the Aussie media to rejig what she called a pretty established order and hierarchy in broadcast sport in Australia. You know, the news got pushed back on the channel that has the the World Cup broadcast rights. Uh, And then they also play AFL games, Australian rules football. And they, you know, they moved one of their kickoff times further back to try and get regular time Matilda's game in. And then they also came to an agreement with FIFA to play the Matilda's game on the big screens in the stadium, the MCG in Melbourne, before one of the the blockbuster footy games that was happening tonight. They didn't then show the extra time on the penalties because the, the other footy game had started, but they did continue to show it on the other TV screens throughout the stadium, which is just it's just incomprehensible. Like I still cannot understand how a, a men's Australian rules footy game had women's football <laughs> on TVs at the same time. Like it's just, it just, it doesn't make sense to me. It's so true, isn't it? It is. And presumably it's not just TV that's been riding this wave in Australia. No, I read a few commentaries as the tournament was kicking off and uh, people were saying the sponsors are a bit lukewarm on this and even the Channel 7, the broadcaster, wasn't, didn't seem to be promoting it heavily. That's all, of course, turned around. Uh, now, the newspapers are full of it and I, I want to uh, salute to The Age in Melbourne, Melbourne's main daily paper. Um, so this is after uh, the quarterfinal, that epic longest ever World Cup penalty shootout Australia versus France was settled by one of those junior members of their team I think she's only 19 Courtney Vine uh, so the, the headline in the Melbourne age heart attack and vine 
So someone at the paper, clearly a huge Tom Waits fan. That's the title of an album and a song uh, from uh, 1993, it is, by the, the New York singer. That's for a very, very focused audience, that one, isn't it, to get it? Well done, Colin, for picking up on it. Pretty obscure. But yeah. music and football, of course, have strong links. Yeah, they do. And I, I reckon more people would have gotten the joke when uh, FIFA put out a tweet when Sweden won their quarterfinal, uh, the winner takes it all. Yeah, I think people reading that on their social media, we see what you did there, FIFA. Very yeah. good. Slow hand clap. Uh, but uh, when the Matildas won that, uh, that excruciating 20 strong penalty shootout on Sunday, longest ever in a World Cup. Uh, the Suncorp Stadium PA rang out uh, with Alive and Kicking. I think that's Simple Minds, that song. So a kind of standard stadium rocker, I guess, for sports events. But that was quite appropriate and can't have been a coincidence. And in fact, John Campbell wrote... Um, a quite, um, I don't know what's the word, quite a kind of florid opinion piece and a, a personal emotional thing for TVNZ's website about how much he'd enjoyed going to the matches and found it uh, much more fun than uh, rugby matches was mm. the point he was making. But he said the music in the stadiums ruins uh, some rugby matches. He went to the test, recent test against the Wallabies in Dunedin. He said as the All Blacks came back into it, having fallen behind, the crowd was getting up. They really, you know, there's this organic roaring of the crowd. He said, but that was drowned out by what he called the classic hits music collection that's played during every break I won't use the word he used there yep. uh, we will rock you no please don't said John Campbell <laughs> that, that song was released 46 years ago says John Campbell it is to atmosphere at a sports event what a fart is to a romantic dinner so <laughs> clearly a subject that uh, John wanted to get off his chest there I think go John go John okay you may have broken the rules uh, referring to Suncorp Stadium there in Brisbane oh. I mean FIFA says all sponsors names have to be removed <laughs> from stadiums and not mentioned by the media during the tournament. So they'll yeah. be on to you. Uh, yeah, you're to report me to the FIFA cops. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is the kind of downside of these huge global yes. licensed events, isn't it? So here in Wellington, you know, we had the uh, the Sky Stadium, I guess it can go back to being now, uh, formerly the Westpac Stadium. Of course, as every Wellingtonian knows, you have to call it the Cake Tin, but not when mm. you're having a World Cup, a FIFA event. It's got to be the Wellington Regional Stadium, which, quite frankly, people would have to Google, even people who live in the city. Where is that? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, call it the Caketon. Everybody knows it's obvious, yeah. and I don't think they'll ever shake that name, no matter how many sponsors it has. But same deal in Australia, of course. And in, in Melbourne, one of the stadiums used was the AAMI Stadium. I think that's an insurance company over mm-hmm. there. Yep. Uh, but of course, couldn't have the corporate name, so they had to call it the Melbourne Rectangular Stadium, which mm. is not a name that trips off the tongue. But the initials MRS. So during the tournament, people started calling because it, it was MRS. People started calling it the Misses. Uh, <laughs> Kind of old-fashioned language, but appropriate for Women's World Cup. And I wonder where this came from. And then um, taking credit, in fact, was the uh, the all-female cast of ESPN's Aussie football podcast called The Far Post. Here they are taking credit for it. Yes, the missus, I am spreading the word. There was like a group of guys at the pub beforehand, um, and one of they were chatting about like, oh, they've had to take the Amy Park name down. And I was like, she's the missus, MRS. Good news like, for you. Nah. Yeah, like that's the thing. It appeals to blokes, which means that it's going to have, um, I think it will be picked up with quite, yeah, um, found my demographic, it seems. Um, and thank you to everyone who's like tagging me when they, they use it in their tweets. It's very sweet. I'm like, oh my God, I started something. <laughs> 
I would suggest she's right. The Amy Stadium might struggle to get its name back. I think the missus is perfect. Yeah, yeah. She's a, obviously it's a feminine name, but um, she said the blokes like it and reacted well in the pub. But yeah, she definitely started something there. Mm. Yeah. Now you're going to have a look at the World Cup as a media event now and media watch this weekend. Um, the day the final, of course, is being played, but it it's been mostly reported as a resounding success and really a, a, another triumph for women's sport. Yeah, there was of course those shootings on day one. You know, the fan zone had to close in Auckland, but that didn't disrupt the tournament itself. Um, last time we spoke, there was the Spanish dissing uh, Palmy. Uh, they didn't go to and their their haka faux pas as well spurred them on to the final though yeah but look as has been said ad nauseum huge TV audiences here across the ditch big big success one person that wasn't so great for though poor old Paul Henry uh, his oh. much hoped comeback the reality show for TV3 and their owners Warner Brothers Discovery uh, it's been a global hit around the world The Traitors uh, where I think it had in the US it had a Two hundred and fifty thousand US dollar prize here in New Zealand. It's only seventy grand, but it mm. debuted against a World Women's World Cup game live on Prime uh, for free and on Sky for subscribers. So the debut show got less than sixty thousand in that twenty-five to fifty-four mm. slot uh, that uh, TV3 covets. And um, I think last night the episode was up against um, that final game at Eden Park as well, also live on Prime. So tough mm-hmm. for Paul Henry. And, and in fact, the, sl- the show that was in the same slot, another reality show called Tracked, that did a bit better than Paul Henry's one. And that was hosted by a former footballer, Vinnie Jones. So right. oh, maybe, yes. maybe football's the key. But yeah, tough, tough crowd for Paul Henry. Although I've heard it's quite good, actually. I've heard a number of people say that they quite enjoy it. But there we go. Yeah. News Hub. What are we talking about? News Hub here, uh, Channel Three, and uh, what? There going to be less news? Yeah, yeah. So oh, they're still trying to build their audience for Paul Henry, but evidently not enough for the early morning news. So AM early, five thirty to six AM, uh, before the AM show proper, their their breakfast news show. They're going to cut that um, from next week, and also they introduced an eleven thirty uh, AM News Hub live bulletin that was pretty much to catch the audience that might tune in for the midday TVNZ news. Uh, they're going to drop that as well from next week. They're saying our audience is turning to digital and social platforms, so our talented colleagues, they say in the release, will move to the production of that stuff online and no one will be losing jobs as a result. That's their line on it. Mm. Surely they wouldn't be doing it if people were watching, though. So obviously <laughs> there's not an audience for it. Indeed. And look, when Warner's Discovery took over the channel, bought TV3 from the MediaWorks company, one of the first things they did was create that 11.30 bulletin, also an 8pm News Hub Late version, which ran on their uh, Eden channel, their mm-hmm. fourth channel they established. Um, and they put out press releases at the time saying this is Trump, you know, this is acknowledging their commitment to news, reaffirming it. Uh, but that News Hub at 8 bulletin, I didn't actually notice, but earlier this year they just phased it out. Uh, they moved the News Hub Late show, which used to be on after 10, forward to 9.30, so kind of throwing it into prime time. But really there's very little original content on it. It's mostly just stuff recut from the News Hub at 6. Mm. Um, so if they really did want to take on TVNZ and the news stakes, um, that's probably not the way to do it. But yeah, it looks like they're running out of steam and all resources for for that and you know in previous years back in the day um tv channels would would create uh, you know original uh, update for those later night shows and there was a bit possibly a bit more entertainment in there a bit more quirky 
Yeah. Oh, some of it was. Some of it was quite straight out of Lindsay Perigo, you know, yes. Eyewitness News going quite a way back. Also, the new, I think it was called Newsnight with Anita McNaught. But putting, you know, production resources, refreshing stories, fresh interviews, all of that. Uh, and then you had, you know, when TV3 fired up and got going, at Ralston Group and stuff like that in the Belin- 90s. Belinda Todd, Marcus Lush, people like that. Absolutely not. That really <laughs> was different and adding variety. Even right through to more recently, uh, Newsworthy, which I think launched Sam Hayes. You know, David Ferrier was on that. Um, in fact, that guy you have, if you not don't have me on Midweek Media Watch, that other bloke you have. Oh, the Hayden guy. Ha- oh, Hamish, Hamish Donald, whatever it is. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> he worked on, on that show with them too. And I think that only goes back about a decade or so. So it is a shame whether you're into the you know, the, the quirky, different look stuff or, you know, the, the serious originated news. That just does seem to have vanished. Although um, one thing I hadn't picked up on is that if you – do stream your television, use the Three Now app to get that stuff from Warner's Discovery, Channel 3, etc. They've added a bunch of so-called fast channels, the free ad-supported streaming TV channels. So this is harvesting stuff from the Warner's Discovery uh, locker mm-hmm. of international content and live stream channels with ads. And uh, there's one called Paranormal, uh, one called 90 Day Fiancé. I don't quite know what that's all about. Uh, and another <laughs> one just called Reality, so which is just throwing in various reality shows from around the world. So if you do want to um, pick and choose and uh, and see what you find, those things are there on the 3 Now app. But, yeah, not, not heavily promoted, interestingly. Well, the other big match on, of course, is coming up in October uh, with the World Cup. will be a, a memory as we move into the election, and it seems to be hotting up, doesn't it? Yeah, lasts longer than a World Cup. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've griped in the past, so I'll try not to come on like a broken record, but you know, I do have that feeling that political reporters and editors way too fixed on party political strategy and polls when we're still quite a way out from the election. Uh, it feels they've been telling us the election has been coming for ages, although without actually doing that Patrick Gower thing of, you know, 115 days to go, they seem to have um, done away with that, thankfully. But they just seem to mention it still at every possible opportunity. So sorry to pick on TVNZ and Jack Tame, but on the weekend, the Q&A show, which of course is mostly about politics, I have to acknowledge that, mm. they had uh, former National Party stalwart Stephen Joyce on, because he's written a book about his whole life and career and politics, you know, a whole span of things you can talk about, but here's how Jack Tame introduced them on Sunday. Now, with two months until the 2023 general election, Stephen Joyce has published his memoir on the record. Kia ora, good morning. Morning, how are you, Jack? So there you go, at two months to go to the election. You have to mention it. It's almost just a reflex, I think, now. Yeah, yeah. But of course, he is a former campaign manager for National, isn't he? And, and the election is coming. So is that not fair enough? Yes. Yeah, OK. Yeah, fair enough. Yes, yes. I am picking on um, poor old Jack Hayman Q&A there. Yes, he, he has run campaigns, so he's a perfect person to talk to about that stuff. And also, last weekend, uh, Saturday, in fact, was the day that the election campaign hoardings uh, could go up. Uh, so the equivalent show over on TV Channel 3 News Hub Nation, uh, they seized on this too. So when Simon Shepard, the host, uh, raised this with his political panellists, uh, he asked uh, Victoria University's Dr Lara Greaves if she'd be out taking a drive, having a look to see uh, what billboards are up in, in her area. 
We'll have a bit of a drive, just have a hoon around, have, have, a, look a, hoon at, around. have a look at what's been put up, because yep. it it's, it's quite cool. Like, it is one of those kind of markers of the campaign starting, yeah. Um, yeah. where, like, yeah, the regular people who are not into politics go, oh, no, here we go again. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. for the rest of us, it's like, oh, who's showing what? Yeah. What what colours are out? Like, what, you know? So it's, it's, it's kind of, it, brings, it brings it alive and it brings it into everybody's... You're driving around... It's there, you can't it avoid it, it now. It, it kicks, kicks it off, it off. Yep. So, like, yeah, there was yeah. the start of the regulated period, whatever, yeah, 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 but yeah, this yeah. actually kind of kicks it yeah. off for regular people where politicians become part of their life. And we still know that at this point, looking at something like the New Zealand election study, 30 40% of people haven't fully made their mind up. Right. So that's, I mean, there's still votes to win, still a lot of time so to like, go. St- OK. Yeah, well, she is right, isn't she? It is a moment where normal people start noticing the election is coming in. Yes, so maybe visual it is, pollution. It is time for me to stop <laughs> griping about the fact that it's still so far away when it, it really is on. Um, but I would argue, um, you know, anyone who's been watching their news and, and outlets like News Hub can't fail to know that it's coming up. Um, mm. But journalists, now that now that we're in this period, they've been talking about it so long. I see signs. Some journalists are now fast forwarding to as if the damn elections already happened. Um, the, the possibility of an inconclusive outcome, particularly leading to another election, was discussed on that very panel. So just moments later, in that same discussion, Simon Shepherd asked um, Lara Greaves, well, what will happen if we have a hung parliament? Most people, if you look at kind of international examples, are going to not want to go back to the polls. You right. don't want to be the party who caused another election. Because that, yeah. they, 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 they create voter backlash, right? It would be it? devastating. Yeah. Yeah. It would be devastating for this country as well. Like the level of trust in politicians and mm. voting in that. It would, like, people wouldn't want to like, waste another Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't. No. So um, yeah, Mark, News Hub actually having aired that then made a news website story all about it under the headline expert on why a re-election would be devastating for New Zealand. I mean, this is just imagining things that haven't happened. I just, it's too much. But they won't be the only ones in the media predicting the election outcome <laughs> and beyond. No, and uh, look, I, I could pick on a number of people, um, but perhaps I should bring it to a close. But yeah, the Herald's Audrey Young, I noticed last week on consecutive days, did... Um, what an act! Uh, sorry, what a national act cabinet might look like one day. All the runners and riders, a full cabinet lineup, for, as if the uh, election had already happened the following day. What would a cabinet look like in a Labour Greens Māori Party government? You know, and like, we will we will let the journalists know come election night what who 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 who's won from the parties from which the cabinets can be composed. I mean, I think the journalists are going to have to go through all this again and do the same sort of articles when it's actually relevant and the election uh, has been held and we know who they've got to pick from. And they're all believing their polls, aren't they? And, and uh, they're notoriously inaccurate as well. Well, some, some are, some aren't. The average of polls, yeah, there was another News Hub one in the week, the average of polls showing a trend. I mean, people are making their minds up, I yeah. think, that of what the election is going to be. But yeah, I still believe, still a way to go. There's going to be so much. The drip feeding of policy, there's plenty to talk about. I don't think we need to pretend or guess mm. the result, you know, several times a week for the next, you know, six or seven weeks. Meanwhile, Labor's um, policy, its vote-seeking policy of uh, of taking the GST of fruit and vegetables, it actually got quite a bit of media attention this week, uh, even though it had kind of been announced by the opposition, hadn't it? Yeah, indeed. And then just the day after, they came up with another one on paid parental leave. But yeah, commentators pointed out at length that this policy, supposedly popular with people, it had been polled before when it was 
Labour Party policy, fruit and veg GST. Um, but, you know, every expert seemed to be saying hard to implement consistently and the benefits are not really clear, particularly for the people who really need relief from the cost of living. Um, Craig McCulloch for RNZ, I think, had, I think a dozen experts all lining up against it. One reporter got his money's worth from a, a load of fruit and veg that he bought. That was News Hub's Lloyd Burr. He took a bunch of them to uh, the Prime Minister's post-Cabinet media conference on Monday and pretty much guaranteed himself uh, plenty of content for his own uh, report on News Hub at six that night. Prime Minister, if I was to go down to Bunnings Warehouse and get a punnet of lettuce seedlings um, and take them home, would they be GST exempt? Because no, I could you just would pay GST on those almost certainly. But, but I could Amelia, chop off the lettuce and use it for a salad. You can keep going if you like. I've already answered that question. Amelia. Pure and easy baby beets. It would depend on the way they're processed. Did the Amelia get a question on? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, in a way, you could say it's a stunt, but a reasonable way, yeah, of, good way. Of, of making a point. And, of course, he got his, his visuals there for the public. Um, however, um, you know, maybe Lloyd did take it a little bit too far with this uh, rather punning ending to his report. Oh, actually, I do have one last one. Um, it's frozen stir-fry. All right, thank you. This one's got grilled capsicum in it. Would that? that thank you, everybody. Would that yes. be included? A stir-fry, leaving the Prime Minister pretty stirred up. <laughs> I think Lloyd just overreached a little bit at the end there. The Prime Minister wasn't all that stirred up. He actually straight-batted that uh, fairly well, having gone through that um, list of, of, of fruit and vegetables there. So, yeah, but one of those jokes that um, a friend of mine used to say, the gag is heavy-handed as that's wonder Lloyd Burr doesn't have two broken wrists. <laughs> Well, some of the media did get stirred up about pre-election political pressure last week over a, was it a cross-media summit? Yeah, this was a bit odd. So Stuff organised the Wananga sort of meeting in Auckland at uh, Marae and Point Chevalier uh, for a range of media organisations to talk about how better to report Māori issues and other um, other other issues. And look, this is an area where mainstream news media acknowledge they've fallen short in the past. Um, Stuff itself has a policy on addressing this. Uh, and, you know, this, this has been discussed at editorial conferences and debates you know, in the past without particular controversy. But this time... It was controversial because uh, word got out that the Minister of Māori Development, Willie Jackson, also the Minister of Broadcasting, had been invited to speak. So the Taxpayers' Union put out a statement saying that Stuff had invited a media organisation to a meeting with the apparent purpose of agreeing to set principles or guidelines for how Māori are treaty partners should be reported on by those in the mainstream industry, uh, which was a bit of a stretch. Um, and they went on to say the Commerce Commission needs to launch an investigation into the circumstances of the meeting, who organised it, and what has been written about its purpose. Act leader David Seymour climbed in, saying we're hearing alarming reports about this, it's too fantastic to be true. And uh, Sean Plunkett on the platform interviewed David Seymour all about this, where they went over all those objections, and Sean Plunkett himself told listeners this. How can you be open-minded about covering Treaty of Waitangi issues when you choose to have your workshop on a marae and have the Minister of Māori Affairs in attendance? Or are there different rules, different rules for Māori media and for Māori journalists? Are there special rules for them? Are they allowed to be advocates or activists, I wonder? Um, and yes, uh, of course, for some strange reason, and there's even the rumour going around that stuff are essentially underwritten by Naitahu, which is why they went all woke and went all critical race theory. Well, interesting.
Yeah, and Tim Murphy, co-editor of Newsroom, said, this is a contender for the bottom of the barrel scandal of the year. <laughs> Stuff invites media to discuss diversity and representation in the industry and agree a statement if they wish. The minister agrees to speak. That's it. And that pretty much was it.